Latino Stories, Historias Latinas, es un podcast que nace del proyecto de narrativas orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio, con entrevistas en español, inglés, and Spanglish. Welcome to Latina Latino Stories. I'm Elena Fowles. My guest today in the studio is la doctora Solimar Otero. Solimar Otero is a professor of folklore in the Department of Folklore and Ethnomusicology, the director of the Folklore Institute, and the editor of the Journal of Folklore Research at Indiana University, Bloomington. Her research centers on gender, sexuality, Afro-Caribbean spirituality, and Yoruba traditional religion and folklore literature and ethnography. Bienvenida a este episodio, Solimar. Muchas gracias. Un placer. Uh, Solimar, tell us a little bit about yourself. Are you from Indiana? No, I actually am not. I was born and raised in Los Angeles. My mother's from Cuba. My father's from Puerto Rico. They actually met in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up there in Los Angeles. And um, I went to undergrad at UC Berkeley, so mm -hmm. still in California. And then for graduate school, I went to the University of Pennsylvania. So I lived in, that's the first time I had to live on the East Coast, in Philadelphia. Right. And um, and then from there, I taught um, at LSU um, mm -hmm. in Baton Rouge, mm -hmm. in Louisiana. And then just since 2019, I've been in Bloomington. Right. Tell me about growing up in L.A. as a, as a Cuban Puerto Rican. It was really... Um, It was really fascinating because, you know, a lot of people in Los Angeles are Latinos. They speak Spanish. Mm -hmm. It's very international um, in terms of a lot of different people from a lot of different nations. Mm -hmm. And my household, it, we had two nationalities there because people sometimes think Cubans and Puerto Ricans are, you know, they're very similar. But right. even the food and the words are different. Right. And and at home, We had a very Caribbean, you know, culture. You know, we drank malta, we ate tostones, we <laughs> <laughs> everything, right? You know, arroz y frijoles negro. Right. And, um, and so uh, we had a very strong sense of that identity. Mm -hmm. But then um, uh, out, outside, I, I had a really wonderful experience sharing my, my um, experience of Caribbean Latinidad mm -hmm. with my friends who identified as either Chicanos, uh, Mexicanos, Americanos, mm -hmm. Martamatecos. So um, it was it was really a very enriching and fulfilling experience. And not only with the Latinos, but I have friends who were all immigrants. Like right. my, I had friends that were Japanese, Greek, Yugoslavian. So it was a really um, um, just multicultural, multilingual mm -hmm. um Experience, so it, it was. I really loved growing up in Los Angeles. Great, so Lee, talk to us about your journey into higher education. Did you always want to be a professor and researcher? Actually, I did. Um, my father, his name is Raymond Otero. Mm -hmm. uh, he actually has um, a master's degree from in sociology from UCLA and a bachelor's degree um, from Cal State LA in uh, Latin American studies. And he actually even studied in Mexico and all this mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So I grew up with uh, that example in terms of he would sometimes he would teach classes at Occidental College sometimes, and mm -hmm. he would take me when I was like twelve and stuff like that. <laughs> and I saw him in the classroom. And it really made an impact in terms of how 
I felt there was a sense of community there. And I was a bookworm. I was a total nerd. I mean, I was a nerd, and then, but I was also a goth. It was really weird. And so, <laughs> so um, just being seeing that people could make community through ideas, mm-hmm. it was just that was something that I really saw. And my mother, she um, she spoke mostly, mostly Spanish until I was about in eighth grade, mm-hmm. but she was very um, well read, and she was always reciting Jose Marti mm-hmm. and like really um, and and talking about the importance of education. So both mm-hmm. my parents really supported education, mm-hmm. and I kind of saw that modeled as a child. Right, right. How did you um, end up working with uh, Afro-Latinx spirituality? I know, I don't know if that's part of your experience or what you saw around you. Mm, yeah, thank you for that question. Um, it was I. It was part of my experience, and I didn't even realize it mm-hmm. until I actually started taking classes in anthropology and folklore. Mm-hmm. And I realized, aha, ese vaso de agua, or that, <laughs> that, that thing that my mom had in the closet, you know, represented a set of, um, tra- of um, hybridized, syncretized traditions that mix, that was a creolization, right? Mm-hmm. It had a little bit of African, a little bit of, of Iberian, maybe even some Chinese influence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Uh, I started my journey um, as an undergraduate major um, in anthropology at UC Berkeley, and I started taking folklore classes Mm -hmm. with this professor called Alan Dundies. And he actually, for one of my final projects, I said, I don't know what I want to do. He said, why don't you start studying Cuban, especially Mm -hmm. Afro-Cuban culture and rituals and and see if it speaks to you. And he sent me to read Fernando Ortiz. (laughs) (laughs) And then a world kind of opened up to me. And then when I when I finished undergrad, um, I took a year in between undergrad and graduate school. I started taking classes in Yoruba, mm-hmm. which is one of the major African ethnic groups that's found in Cuba and Brazil. And then it just started developing. And so my first research in terms of um, my graduate research is I did field work in Lagos, Nigeria, mm-hmm. among Afro-Cubans um, who uh Returned. They bought their freedom from slavery, and then they returned mm-hmm. to Lagos. And they even have a cube, like a Cuban neighborhood and a lodge and all that stuff. Hmm. So I did oral histories with. They don't speak Spanish though, so it's very interesting. Wow. Just yeah. English and Yoruba, and so I kind of the journey, the journey into Afro Latinx religions started with going to like the source, which mm-hmm. is you know Africa. Yeah. And then going back to Cuba, Puerto Rico, and other parts of, you know, the Caribbean, even in the United States, you mm-hmm. know, um, and seeing these connections. So mm-hmm. it's, and I'm still, I'm still on that journey. <laughs> right, right. Um, how are Afro-Latinx spirits a guide for collaborative spiritual scholarly activism uh, as you've, you know, researched this? Sure, mm-hmm. yeah. And that, and that phrasing comes from my latest book that came out in 2020, Archives of Conjure, mm-hmm. uh, Stories of the Dead in Afro-Latinx Culture. Um, and the book came out um, through Columbia University Press in mm-hmm. their Gender Theory and Religion series. I, when I started doing work in the archive um, alongside, and the archive, um, I was looking at uh, other ethnographers who did mm-hmm. similar work with spiritual communities, but many years ago. And I was comparing that to um, the rituals that I was witnessing as an ethnographer and also a participant in Cuba, mm-hmm. in particular, Misas Espirituales. Mm-hmm. And um, I was seeing that there was... Um, a consistency and a connection between the kinds of spirit guides and the kinds of um, 
the kinds of connections people were making to their spirituality with relation to culture, society, mm. the understanding of history. It's kind of like um, a people's oral history through ritual and performance that um, pays attention to African spirits, indigenous spirits, um, people's personal histories. So I saw these personal connections that don't really um, get talked about in historiography or traditional ethnography. Mm -hmm. And um, I this idea came to me of residual transcriptions or traces of how people, um, either in a ritual people write down what the spirits tell them, or in the archive I found slips of papers from these ethnographers, Lydia Cabrera and Ruth Landis, where they had gone through certain rituals or they had certain experiences, and those experienced the same kind of transcripts never made it into their published um, mm -hmm. ethnographies. Mm -hmm. So um, I said, well, you know, this is, this, this is inspiration. And this inspiration is, and I'm a folklorist, this inspiration is, is, is not only coming from my academic training, but it's also coming from the community I work with and I'm mm -hmm. a part of because my, my, my aunt is also my madrina and one of my main collaborators in Cuba. And also um, taking seriously um, the way that the people in the community take spirit seriously mm -hmm. in terms of respeto para los ancestros. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's really about kind of remembering um, your community's history. And it may or may not be found in um, a, a history book or in, Absolutely. you know, or mm -hmm. in, in official documents. Mm -hmm. It's through that participation that you find that connection Absolutely. rather than the books. Right. Yeah. right. Because sometimes, you know, researchers, they um they don't they don't know how to they don't know how to see some of these you know some of these um traces these transcriptions i mean cuz sometimes they can be on paper but sometimes they can be you know beads sometimes they can be dolls mm -hmm. I, i work a lot with material culture mm -hmm. in the book and there are things that are passed down mm -hmm. from one generation to the other um It can even be something like how you build an altar for an orisha like Chango, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that these are practices that are uh, vernacular every day, and they're not necessarily part of um, how people describe official culture in mm -hmm. some ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, how is gender embodied in this practices? Is there different um, roles uh, depending on what gender the person is? Well, um, in Afro-Latinx religions, I mean, there's there's a whole variation. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of like, um, I'll, I'll, I'll start first with Regla de Ocha, what some people call Santeria. Mm -hmm. um, actually, that is um, a practice where the person, uh, every the idea is that everybody's born with an orisha mm -hmm. that um, rules their destiny. They say they rule their head. And it, 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 the orisha does not correspond with your gender uh, or even, you know, how you identify in this world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I could have a male orisha or, you know, however mm -hmm. people identify. So there's an idea of fluidity mm -hmm. in terms of the body and the relationship of um, coexistence mm -hmm. with these entities that take care of you, mm -hmm. right? And then um, in terms of leadership, many of the houses in, in say, Regla de Ocha are, are run by women. Mm -hmm. and, and there is a very strong place where women can be leaders, priestesses, can mm -hmm. be um, heads of um, families and households that are religious households, mm -hmm. which is different than, say, you know, for example, like the Catholic tradition or other mm -hmm. traditions. There are instances in, in, say, for example, Cuba is a really good example of um, 
of uh, parts of the tradition, like Ifa divination, um, where the priest babalaos are restricted to to men. Mm. And there's a lot of controversy over that right now mm. because uh, people um, are looking back to, say, the Yoruba traditions in um, Nigeria, and there are women, Iyanifas, who do practice Ifa divination and mm-hmm. healing. So there's, there's there seems to be uh, a conversation about uh, the idea of gender and the different roles that are going even back to or 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 in conversation with mm-hmm. what's going on or has been going on on, on the continent of Africa. Um, and, and so getting to Espiritismo, which is really what this the, my book Archives of Contra really investigates, mm-hmm. it's a book more about Espiritismo than Santeria. Mm-hmm. And that, um, that community is very open. It's less hierarchical. Mm-hmm. Um, it's... I've mostly seen women be involved, mm-hmm. and um, it's very open to the LGBTQ plus community in terms of um, uh, being uh, uh, av- being available to serve the spirit. So um, you know, paying attention to intuition, feelings, dreams. So it's a very it's a very uh, intimate community where there's a lot of attention paid to certain aspects. Of personality and culture that can be considered "quote unquote" feminine in mm-hmm. Latino cultures, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you have so you have that that framework there, and so um, that was one of the things that attracted me the most to Espiritismo mm-hmm. was the ways in which um, women were really and members of the LGBTQ community were really um, working with with ritual, with creativity, with um, communication. Figuring out how to deal with everyday problems through their spirituality without having to run to a a source of, uh, say, uh, a hierarchical source of, oh, I'm going to run to the priestess or I'm going to run to the priest. Where mm-hmm. It's really had this collaborative feel to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, I'm glad that you mentioned the LGBTQ community because um, – I remember having this conversation with somebody that practiced uh, more, it sounded more like Santeria. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even within that um, practice, he felt that um, there was a place for him there, mm-hmm. um, that um, he felt a sense of belonging. Right. Um, so I... I um, I didn't know this about this religion, you know, the, this religion, religion uh, practices, religious right. practices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, you know, it's fascinating because the Santeria, there's not like um, there's not like one like house that's the head of everything, right? Mm-hmm. Every every house has their own traditions. So um, in some in some houses, there's more openness mm-hmm. and there's more acceptance, and in other houses, like it with any culture, there's there's prejudices, there's mm-hmm. homophobia, there's all that kind of stuff. So I think it really has to do with the religious family mm-hmm. and their um, their their history and, and and their attitude. So you can find a range of different um, beliefs and attitudes, but in terms of the um, the theo- like if there was there is a theology mm-hmm. or the the it, there's there's not supposed to be um you know it's there's no sin you know mm-hmm. there's not this idea and this is even true of candomblé mm-hmm. um the religion as the similar um yoruba inspired religion in brazil that there really is a, supposed to be an acceptance mm-hmm. of people um and it and and the gender and sexuality and in particular, especially race, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. are aspects that um, people have come to these traditions for acceptance, where mm-hmm. perhaps maybe they haven't been accepted in more of the you know mainstream religions. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, 
So tell me about uh, what you're working on right now or what, you know, I know you just published something <laughs> big and it's like you you have a breather, but uh, I'm sure that there's more things uh, that you're working on right now. Yeah, thank you. Um, actually, after Archives of Conjure in um, June of 2021, I did publish an edited collection with Mitzi Martinez Rivera, oh, another folklorist. It's called Theorizing Folklore from the Margin, Critical and Ethical Approaches. And that's a collection of essays from different folklorists, from different perspectives. We have people who are writing about their experiences do, um, being African and doing folklore in Africa or doing folklore in Latin America. People writing about um, uh, doing folklore and having um, d- uh a child that has disabilities. So we were trying to recenter voices that you don't usually hear mm-hmm. in the folklore uh, canon, but people that were doing the work, and especially people doing like public sector work and mm-hmm. other components. So we're really proud of that collection, and that came out at um, Indiana University Press. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I'm currently working on. Uh, it's going to come out in spring. This like in a couple of months, I'm hoping. Yeah. Um, I'm co-edit. I like doing. I'm really interested in doing collaborative work. Mm-hmm. So co-editing again with Mitzi Martinez Rivera, but also Rachel Gonzalez, who's another folklorist yes. at UT Austin. She was here. Oh, she's amazing. <laughs> yes. um, so uh, the three of us edited a special is- issue of Journal of American Folklore um, that is based on transnational Latina feminist theories. Mm-hmm. And what we did is we took the concept of keywords and we each took different keywords and we put them in Spanish and in English in order to kind of reframe uh, again another recentering mm-hmm. or like a more inclusive recentering. And uh, uh, things we did like things like that had uh, double doble sentido. Mm-hmm. So for example, I think Mitzi wrote on campo and 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 on um field because mm-hmm. campo and field has multiple meanings in both sense mm-hmm. i actually um i'm a performance um studies uh, trained folklorist so i did performance and performance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we actually and and we were so really proud we we're very proud of the of the um of the volume because we have uh many different pieces that are doing different things with form. We have some creative writing. Mm-hmm. We also have um, dialogues um, so that we're putting as um, contrapunteos um, and uh, Norma Cantu mm-hmm. is in the is in the yeah. volume. And so we're really proud of that. So that's that's coming out soon. Yes, I can't wait to read it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then I'm currently working on um, a chapter for a book I'm co-editing, um, Performance Studies and Folklore. It's called Emerging Perspectives of Performance Studies and Folklore. Mm-hmm. And I am uh, co-editing that with Anthony Back Buccitelli, who is a folklorist who works a lot on on virtual folklore and the poetics of virtual folklore. Really, really interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, for that, I'm working on um, sp- uh, spirit tables. Uh, again, going back to Spiritismo, but the material culture. Um, their spirit, the spirit tables where people put glasses of water and they kind of meditate and they bring forth prayers and mm-hmm. commune. Those are called bovedas. So I'm really looking at um, the material culture of the boveda in relation to songs that are being, that are sung at actual um, misas espirituales, as well as with um, contemporary um, African American poetry that deals with violence mm-hmm. and death and healing. Because a lot of the songs and the meditations that people do on the Boveda are reflections upon racial violence and slavery because mm-hmm. so many of the spirits mm-hmm. are um, or the ancestors that are called and remembered have that history. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm don't have a, I'm working through that right now. So mm-hmm. that's the most recent thing I'm working on. Oh, great. It sounds exciting and I can't wait to read oh, thank you. Uh, that work. Yeah. Uh, Doctora Sotero, gracias por esta conversación. Ay, muchas gracias.
un placer otra vez. A todos, gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros. Hasta la próxima. Sí.